Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning. As we continue our study in the life of David, you know, I was thinking back when I was truly, truly petrified about speaking in front of a group, even in small groups. And I mean, even in silent prayer, you know, I had a hard time talking and, and, um, I, I just struggled with it. It It's just something that literally petrified me when I was in the sixth grade, back when I was in elementary school, first through sixth graders always went to the same school. So, but you know, that's a big age difference. And by the time you're in the sixth grade, man, you're king of the hill, right? And, uh, and then we had this thing called the safety patrols. Now, safety patrols were really the cool guys and, and girls. And, uh, and you know, when you were the safety patrol, you were kind of like king of the hill. And then we had something called the captain of the patrols. And that's what I was. I got to be the captain of the patrols. And, and so you were kind of like the, you know, you were not only the king of the hill, you were the sovereign master of the hill. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, the first graders, they would just follow you around. The second graders would hope that you would talk to them on the playground. The third graders would cower in the corner hoping you didn't see them. Fourth graders, if you called their name, they'd wet their pants. The fifth graders, they, they're a little more cocky. It's kind of like, you wait till next year. You won't be here and I'll be the king of the hill. And, uh, but each month we had a school assembly. And so each of the officers were supposed to say something. And, uh, and so as captain of patrols, I was supposed to say something. It wasn't going to happen. And, uh, you know, they would tell me, they say, you got to prepare something. I said, okay, I will. And I wouldn't. And then the president of this class would, you know, during the meeting, she'd look at me and she'd say, you ready to give your report? And I said, nope, I'm good. And uh, I mean, every single time. And finally, I was determined, I've got to get up and speak. I've got to, it's just my job. And so I got up and I, I sat there and looked at the students and said, y'all need to behave. And then I went and sat back down. And that was it. That was my first public message. I'm still saying the same thing today, right? Y'all need to behave. <laughs> and now imagine this. So sixth grade, you're petrified. All through high school, petrified. Well, in the sixth grade, seven years later, that's when God called me into ministry. Now, you can imagine how terrifying that was. It's just kind of like, no way. I mean, you know, unless you just want me to be in an office and not talk to anybody, I can handle that. But it was like, no, you're going to be speaking. And I said, there's no way. I don't have the natural ability. Right. You don't. And that's not what I want. I don't want your natural abilities. I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. And you're going to use that spiritual gift. I don't, I don't want you messing it up with your natural abilities. And, and so I had, you know, because I want to tell you, there was definitely an absence of courage, courage in my life, just an absence of courage. And, and it, it just, it kept me for a long time from exploring my spiritual gift. 
And um, it kept me from a long time from even exercising that spiritual gift. So maybe you can relate to that a little bit. Uh, maybe you have gotten good at acting on the outside, but on the inside, you're tet- petrified, you're, you're lacking courage. Maybe you're worried about your future. Maybe you're worried about your job. Um, maybe you're going through a painful trial. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're dealing with a physical issue. Some of you are dealing with cancer. And, uh, and maybe you're lacking the courage to enter into a new relationship. Uh, maybe you just struggle with stuff and you lack the courage of confronting those things. Maybe you lack the courage of standing up to your boss who's asking you to do something that's unethical. Maybe confronting someone with the truth that they need to hear, your lack of courage is keeping you from saying that truth to them. Or maybe God has called you to do something with your life or called you to go somewhere with your life and the lack of courage has just kept you from doing that. So the question then is, well, where does courage come from? I want to show you a surprising answer to that today as we look at one of the most famous Bible stories that there is about David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And everybody knows this story. It's a kid's story. And uh, it's it's a story that's kind of become an icon through the ages, even in our own culture. How many times do you hear sports analogy? Well, it's David against Goliath, you know, or the, you know, it's the the underdog and underestimating the little guy. And so we, this analogy of this story plays itself out in our culture. So let's, uh, let's begin to look at this. And we're going to see the heart of what it means to have godly courage and where it comes from. So beginning of verse one, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Let's just stop there for a second. Who are the Philistines? They were a group of people that were living in the land of Canaan and they weren't supposed to be there. God had given the land to Israel and had told Israel to drive these people out but the Philistines were pretty strong. This is actually during the time of the Iron Age, and the Philistines had mastered the use of, of metals. And uh, I mean, they understood iron and bronze, and they knew how to use that, and they used it to make weapons. They controlled major seaports. It'd be like if they controlled New York and Miami and Charleston, those major seaport areas. And, and so the, the Israelites, they were afraid of them. Yet God said, no, this is your land and you're to drive them out. And you see, God was not intimidated about their size or their strength or their ability to make metal. You know, God's kind of like going, oh, yeah, well, guess who made metal? You know, I'm the one that created the stuff. So I'm not intimidated by you. And so Israel constantly had a problem in believing the promises of God. That, that just seemed to be a constant problem of theirs. They were always struggling with that. And guess what? You and I still have that same problem today. We struggle with the promises of God. And the lack of courage is tied to that. Verse 2. Saul countered, King Saul's the king of Israel, countered by gathering his Israeli, uh, Israelite troops near the valley of Elah, 
and so they faced each other on the opposite, to, opposite hills. Now, I've been to that place. It's, a kind of, it's like about a mile long, and it's hills on both sides. And you can just see how it would be. A, you can just envision the Philistines on one side, the Israelis, Israelites on the other side, and the battlefield, just a flat area in the middle there. Um, it says, then Goliath... A Philistine champion from Goth came out of the uh, Philistines' ranks to face the forces of Israel's. He was over nine feet tall. Now, some say he was nine, nine foot six. Some people say, there's some who say, well, that's not really correct. He was really six foot nine. Well, so what? He's a tall dude. I think he was nine foot, over nine feet tall. And, and so he was master. You've got to remember, the Hebrew children, they were kind of small people. Now, Saul was a big guy and kind of stood out, but the average Hebrew person was not that tall. And, and so this, this guy stood out in a big way. So say you got this nine-foot guy, this giant of a man who came out. And, um, and then it says in verse 5, he wore a bronze helmet and uh, now, now you, th you think about this big guy compared to the little runt, David. I mean, David was a Hebrew, short. Remember, he was called a runt. Uh, he might have been like five foot three. I mean, you know, it'd be, I mean, think of our children's pastor, Jeff. You know, he's a little guy. And uh, he, he was in the first service. I didn't say it in the first service. But I'll make sure he knows that I said it in this service. So here he is, Goliath, wore a bronze helmet, his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was, was as heavy and as thick as a, as a weaver's beam. The tip of the iron spear weighed 15 pounds, just the tip of it. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now, Israel, their weapons were leather and stones and sticks compared to all this metal. So verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted and taunted across the, to the Israelites, why are you all coming out? Why aren't you coming out to fight? I, I am the Philistines champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Maybe that begins to explain why they didn't have courage. They... They were relating to their king, not their king. And uh, Saul, Saul was a very self-centered guy. You know, he was staying in his tent, making little statues of himself, trying to figure out what he wanted the next statue of himself to look like. And, uh, and so the Goliath said, choose a man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will become our slaves. So this is what's called representative battle, warfare. One person comes out from each side, and they fight together, and whoever wins, that decides the war. And, um, but this is intimidating, right? This giant of a man. Verse 11, when Saul and Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch... Jesse sends David out to visit his brothers, and he said, go see how the war's going. <clears throat> Here's a couple of boxes of Krispy Kremes to take them. <laughs> They'd given that to me. I, they would have never made it. 
Let's jump down to verse 20. <coughs> so David left the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next day morning with the gifts as, as, Dave, as Jesse, his dad, had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. He, I just imagine that. What kind of battle cries did they had? They had been avoiding war for 40 days. You, know, you just see them coming out, and the Israelites were sitting there going, we've got spirit, yes we do. And the Philistines saying, well, we got Goliath. And they said, oh yeah, well, all right, we're going back to our tents now. I mean, they, they were just, they would come out, they'd taunt each other, and they'd see Goliath, and then they'd go back. They did that for days and days and days. And um, so David, David came and he's going to his brothers and, uh, and, and he's in verse 23, he said he was talking with them, uh, as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from God, he came out again with the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the, Israel of, uh, the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Wow. And they were like, have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward for anyone who kills him. He, he basically said, you can marry one of my daughters, so you'll become my son-in-law. And you and your family will never, ever pay taxes again. Well, that's a big reward. And uh, so David asked the soldiers, now, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is, a, listen to this, this is where you're hearing the difference for the first time. That he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Notice he did not say the armies of King Saul. David saw a bigger picture. Who is this guy that you are allowing him to defy the armies of the Lord himself? So there were two questions here. What do you get for beating this guy? That was the, that was the less important question. The more important question was, and this is David's real motivation, which we'll see at the end of the story, is why is this guy allowed to mouth off at God and you don't do nothing about it? Why are you allowing this? So David, he assumes victory. He's like, of course, whoever fights him will win. Didn't God promise us victory over the Philistines? Hey, guys, God's already told us we've, we've won. He told us, he promised us victory. Uh, what's your problem here? See, you're, you're, you're trusting in yourself, not in mighty God. <clears throat> and so David had his faith in God's promise. And that's what overcame fear. That's a big lesson for us. When I put my faith in the promises of God, I don't have to worry about what's inside of me. I don't have to muster up courage. My courage is coming from someplace else. 
Sounds, you know, and then, then verse 28, but when David's oldest brother, Elab, heard David was talking to the men, he was angry. Sounds like he's a little bitter about not being chosen as king to me. And he said, what are you doing around here anyway? What about those few sheep you're supposed to take care of? He's kind of mocking him. Hey, you got a big job, those few little sheep. Oh, well, you know, that's about all you can handle. I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. And uh, I mean, most of the discouraging opposition, li listen to this. Most of the discouraging opposition can come from God's own people. Hmm. So here's David's brother trying to discourage his little brother. In fact, he's angry with him. He's mocking him. He's calling him out. It seems to me David's the only one that has faith in the whole army. And he's not even in the army. This is another reason how we know how David is. You had to be 20 years old to be in the army. So we know at this point he's a teenager. He's a runt little teenager that smells like, like sheep. That's all he is. And he has more faith than these hardened, hardened soldiers. William Carey uh, was considered the father. He's considered the father of modern day missions. And back when he first started talking about, hey, maybe we ought to take God serious and go and reach the lost world with the gospel. And one of the uh, older leaders said, young man, sit down. If God wants to reach the lost nations, he'll do it himself. Wow. William Carey was willing to say, hey, what about the Great Commission? Maybe we ought to be doing something about it. And his own people were saying, are you kidding me? I mean, they're almost like mocking, denying that Jesus even gave a Great Commission. Said, hey, hey, if God wants to fulfill the Great Commission, he'll do it himself. He doesn't need you. And William Carey became one of the first guys in modern day. He started that. He went to India as a missionary at great cost. You know, sometimes it's from your own friends, your own family, you find discouragement. The very people that ought to be encouraging you. I... Unfortunately, I have personal experience with this, except I was on the other side of it. I had a roommate in college who was a brand new Christian, and we were both involved in what was called Camps Crusade back then. And man, he, he became zealous. I mean, he was so excited about sharing his faith. And I'd been a Christian a while. And I mean, he just would talk to anybody. And I remember one night, I felt like, okay, I'm an older Christian. I need to sit down and just kind of calm him down a little bit. And so I was talking to him. I said, hey, Kendall, you know what? You're getting a little too aggressive here. I think maybe you need to slow it down a little bit. And the look on his face of such discouragement and surprise, he just looked at me. He said, well, all I'm doing is trying to help fulfill the Great Commission." Man, I felt that dagger going my back at that moment. Here I am, the older Christian, 
discouraging a new Christian about being so excited about sharing his faith. Wow. That's uh, it's embarrassing to even admit that to you. But that's what I did. And a lot of times we as Christians can do that to other Christians. We can be the one that causes discouragement. So let me ask you a question about David here. What do you think insulted God more? Goliath being blasphemous towards God himself with his insults? Or Israel being blasphemous about their refusal to believe God? Which one do you think insulted God more? What do you think insults God more? A non-believer who mocks God and mocks Christians? Or a Christian who refuses to believe the promises of God? Which insults God more? I, I know what I think the answer is. Verse 29, David said, what have I done now? I'm just asking a question. And he walked over to some others and he asked them the same thing. And finally, the word questions got to Saul and Saul sent for him. And, uh, and listen to David, this little runt shepherd boy, a teenager, saying to this king, King Saul, he said, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. You stay here and make your little statues of yourselves. I'll take care of this guy. Oh, my goodness. Saul said, well, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. He said, hey, I've been taking care. I mean, listen to him talking to the king now. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats and when a lion and bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I'll go after it, and I'll club and rescue that lamb from his mouth. If an animal turns on me, I'll catch it by its jaw and club it down. I don't go run and hide. I face it. I've done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do the same with this pagan Philistine. He's nothing compared to what I've been facing with. And here's why. Because he has defied the armies of King Saul? No. The armies of the living God. You see where his faith came from? Hey, I'll go stand up against this guy because he, he is being blasphemous to holy God. And I'm going to go do something about that. Where did he learn that courage? That courage came upon him in the pasture. When he was alone with God. That courage came upon him when Samuel anointed him. And remember that verse we looked at last week? And the Spirit of God mightily came upon David from that day forth. That's where that courage came from. It didn't come from David. It came from the Holy Spirit. That's where your courage will come from. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul finally said, go ahead. All right. 
And may the Lord be with you. I think he was felt obligated to say that. Go ahead, go get yourself killed. God bless you. Bye-bye now. Won't be seeing you again. Then Saul gave David his armor. Now, you know, and it was ridiculous. Saul was a big guy. David was a little teenager. And this armor just overwhelmed him. David said, I can't wear this. He took it off. And in verse 40, he says, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in a shepherd's bag. Now, let me tell you, I've read a lot of sermons about those five smooth stones. I read one sermon that said, uh, it's because David knew that Goliath had four brothers. David didn't even know about Goliath, much less his four brothers. So that's not true. I've read a sermon where each of those stones stand for something significant. And they go through these gyrations of scripture trying to prove that. Let me tell you, let me tell you the best interpretation of, of this verse. This is real important. Don't, don't miss this. So David picked up five smooth stones from a stream. There's the interpretation. <laughs> he picked up five stones. You know, he wasn't arrogant enough to think, oh, I'll get him in the first shot, even though he did. You know, he's like, okay, I'm going to be prepared. He might dodge the first one, but I'll get him on the next one. So he wasn't being arrogant. He just picked up five stones. Verse 41, Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods, which means absolutely nothing because there are no gods that he cursed by. Verse 44, come over here and I'll give, you your, give your flesh to the birds and the animals. And David replied, listen to this, listen to this. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. And this is the key. This is it. And this is where you get your courage from. Listen, but I come to you in the name of the Lord's of heaven's armies. Not in the name of Saul. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies and the God of the Israel, the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You're in big trouble now, big boy. That's what he's thinking. And today, today, the Lord will conquer you. Not me. The Lord's going to conquer you. The Lord's going to conquer you, and I'm going to finish you off. And so then, here's what happened. Goliath started making his way towards David. And guess what David did? David ran towards Goliath. I mean, he ran to meet him. And he took out a stone, he slung it, sunk it in the forehead of Goliath, didn't kill him, it stunned him. And he just dropped where he was. Then David went over and grabbed his Goliath's sword and then he killed Goliath. And he cut off his head just like he said he would. He actually took his head with him. And all of the Philistines ran because their courage was based on a man who was dead. David's courage 
was based on a holy God who will never die. Goliath's courage was based on his natural abilities. David's courage was based on the spirit of holy God. Goliath's courage was based on his abilities from the past. But David's courage was based on the Holy Spirit coming upon him by the prophet Samuel and God's promises. Everything David did was based on the promises of God. So, what's the main point of this story? The bigger they are, the harder they fall? No. There's always hope for the underdog? No. Never stop believing in yourself? No. <clears throat> How about if you trust God, God will give you victory over any giant in your life? Maybe your lousy job is your giant. Maybe your cancer is your giant. Maybe your hurting marriage is your giant. Maybe your rebellious kids are your giant. I mean, maybe, who knows what your giants are, but I want to tell you, when you trust God, he will give you victory over those seemingly giants. So who do you identify with in this story? You'd like to say, well, I identify with David. But in reality, we probably identify with Israel, don't we? Oh, yeah, we'll shout, we'll declare things for God, but as soon as the opposition comes at us, we run and go home. David, I think in this story, actually represents Jesus. That's what I think he represents. Jesus came and he faced death. He faced sin. He faced Satan and his crowd. And he did it based on the promises of holy God. He did it based on who God the Father was. And that's why he had victory. And that's why he had courage to face what he had to face. You see, when you and I stand on the promises of God, that's where we will have courage. If you're facing cancer that's going to take your life, God's promise has said, you don't have to be afraid of death because it can't touch your soul. It cannot keep you from me. You don't have to be afraid of it. No matter what you're facing, you don't have to be afraid of it because I've got you. You, you see, the real giant in our lives, our real Goliath, is our alienation from God and the penalty that we owe for our sins. Man's most greatest, most fundamental problem, the problem behind all the problems, is our separation from holy God. And there's not a thing you and I can do about it. And that's why Jesus stepped in for us. All of the army of Israel couldn't stand against this giant. And it took a little shepherd boy to do it who was willing to stand on the promises of God.
So my real giant is my separation from God. And Jesus took out the real giant in my life. He took it out. And I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. And I can face lesser giants because I've already faced the biggest giant of all. And Jesus took him out. And that's why you can say like David did. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, maybe he got his inspiration from this, his own story. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Would you rather get hit by a shadow of a truck or the truck itself? Jesus got hit by the truck so that you don't have to be. And the shadow of the truck can't hurt you at all. I used to be afraid of what everybody thought of me. You know, even now you want people to like you, right? But here's the deal. If God is looking at you from heaven and he smiles because you're one of his, you can endure anybody else's frowns. Real courage comes not from knowing everything's going to go out smoothly. Real courage is not assurance of every victory. Real courage is not the absence of fear. Real courage comes from having something more valuable in you than life itself that death cannot threaten. So what giant are you facing right now? Two questions. Have you received Christ? Have you accepted the fact that Jesus has taken out the biggest giant of all, and that's your sin problem. And you have to accept that. And secondly, if you are a believer, are you experiencing this kind of courage and power that David experienced? Because it's based on promises from God. That's why I tell people whenever they're facing an issue, first thing to do is go find promises in the Bible that deal with that issue. Because that's where you'll get your courage from. Let's pray.